Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Hopefully all of you listeners have already tuned into our brand new ATP Challenger themed Monday edition of the show. Our new Cracked Rackets contributor Damian Cust going to be hosting the Monday podcast every week moving forward. He'll be reviewing the past week of ATP Challenger action, previewing the week ahead as well. We are also looking forward to having Damian as a contributor on the Mini Break podcast. He's already written his first piece for our website. You can go read his thoughts on the many young checks rising in the ATP game. And again, if you have not already, be sure to go check out his first edition of the podcast, which we released this past Monday. Of course, just because he has already talked about the Challenger Tour on this podcast this week doesn't mean we can't talk about it again, particularly given the fact, as so many of you tennis fans likely know, that there's so much exciting action that's happening week in, week out at the Challenger level. Last week, we had three events. This week, we have three more. Now, what we're going to be doing on today's podcast, instead of just redoing, essentially, what Damien talked about on Monday, we're going to focus on the American. American Challenger action in particular. We had Orlando on the hard courts last week. Jensen Brooksby, friend of the program, extending his record. You want to count his two Tallahassee wins. He's now 20-4 and four to start the 2021 season. The majority of those wins coming at the Challenger level, of course. We wanted to take a deep dive into his performance, what's been going so well for him, why does his game just seem to be so effective despite the fact there's, you know, no eye-popping strength. He doesn't blow you off the court with his power. He doesn't have ridiculous otherworldly athleticism. He's just a tennis player through and through, and we wanted to talk about that on today's podcast. We also wanted to talk about some of the other standout performers, Michael Moe, Tim Van Richeven, you know, Braden Schnurr, Dennis Kudla, Jack Sock, on and on and on. Also wanted to give you all a status update on the Tallahassee Challenger on the green clay happening this week. Brooksby's managed to advance to the quarterfinals already. We've had a bunch of exciting performances. Michael Moe already into the quarterfinals as well. And so... Again, on today's podcast, wanted to focus on the two challengers that have happened here in North America of late, and there's no better person I could think of doing that with, perhaps other than Damien, but we already had him once on the GSP. Don't want to wear him out, get him sick of me too soon. Uh, But of course, we have another returning champion here at Cracked Racket, someone whose work you may recognize from our website, someone whose voice you may recognize as he's become almost a weekly appearer here on the Great Shot podcast, David Gert. 
Gertler joins me once again to break down the American Challenger action. We're talking Brooksby, Moe, everyone else in between. It's a fantastic conversation, as always, whenever we have David on the show. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on the GSP is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. Sincerely, it means the world to us from our Cracked Rackets Patreon family, whose generous contributions allowed me to update my recording equipment recently. And of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Turn of Tennis. You guys already know the deal. It's the only grip that gets tackier when you sweat. It's performance in hot and humid conditions, unmatched, and that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful blue, iconic blue, I should say, color. It corrects me here. Iconic blue color can be seen on the rackets of hundreds of touring pros. If you would like to join the Turner family, you can contact them at sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. You mentioned that Cracked Rackets sent you. You'll get a couple free samples. They'll treat you like family, which of course is what we're all about here at CR. So again, you can email them at sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. With that in mind, let's get to my conversation. An American Challenger check-in with the one and only David Gertler. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets shows. You may know him as a writer on our website, CrackedRackets.com, as a writer for Last Word on Tennis. You may have also read his All About Tennis blog. Of course, I know him as my friend David Gertler. David, hey, great shot. How are you doing today, my friend? Hey, I'm not a champion, but, well, <laughs> I, I'm not a champion in anything significant, but... <laughs> no, I don't, I'm but just I saying, if you're... If you're looking for, like, top 10 lists, you have now definitely entered top 10 most appearances on the Great Shot Podcast. Oh, yeah, well, I appreciate that y'all have uh, let me on. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Again, I appreciate you putting up with my nonsense and continuing to come back. You're on a list with some of your favorite people, David. I think, like, right above you by two podcasts is Ben Rothenberg. So, oh, you know, you, you got you got to pass him, right? Uh, uh, so- yeah, you know, he... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. He tweeted something recently that pissed me off. But anyway. <laughs> oh, that's good. I know he listens to this podcast from time to time. But no, the good news is he'll smile at that thought. But anyways, of course, the reason we want to have you on the show today to talk a little Challenger tennis in particular today, we're going to check in on the American Challengers. Those, of course, just by time zone, the mm-hmm. easiest for us to watch. I think I watched... If not every match in Orlando, all but like two or three. And then, you know, obviously we're going to talk Tallahassee as well. Of course, if you want to hear more about what's going on on the Challenger Tour, I want to recommend Damian Cust's new podcast, our Monday episode. Very knowledgeable. Yeah, as as knowledgeable as it gets on the Challenger Tour. And of course, he uh, and various co-hosts going to be uh, recapping that every Monday. So be on the lookout for those. So as to not offer a repeat of that podcast again, Damian Dave and I going to take a deep dive on the American Challengers, specifically Tallahassee and Orlando. But before that, I know you were watching it last night. I know you were quietly fist pumping at the result. Diego Schwartzman down a set and 5-4. Francis Tiafo serving for the match. Schwartzman finds his rhythm, yes. comes back, runs away with that third set. 
Two questions for you on that match. A, obviously, if you want to revel in all things Diego, please. This I is like your... Francis too, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I know that was a tough one for you. That's why I wanted to ask. I guess part B is, look, for Tiafo, you look at what he was able to do to beat Alcaraz and then to have been up a set in 5-4 serving for the match against Diego Schwartzman. The more and more I watch Tiafo play on clay, the more I think this is a guy who, depending on how, on how the draw breaks, given the fact it's a 3 out of 5 set format, if I'm of top seed at the French Open, I want no part of Francis Tiafo in my draw. Yeah, he uh, he also was, I believe, uh, he had two chances to go up a double break in that second set. Um, yeah, you know, and Diego, at, from a uh, he had two incredible passes to break. There was incredible. like incredible. Um, and yeah, so his actually before Tiafo won Delray, he, uh, he, he, his first, uh, final was on clay against, uh, Yao Souza and Estoril. He lost that, but he can really play on the dirt. He was so aggressive today, which I liked a lot. Like he really was like suffocating, uh, sportsman a lot from the baseline with his aggression um didn't give diego many options at times it was it was a great match um you know of course it was tough in the third set um but i really liked what i saw from tiapo and yeah he beat alcaraz yesterday as well or two days ago as well um and so that was a great it was a great it was a great tournament i would say um but 49 percent of his second serves he won today you know i'd like that to be a little higher um Mm -hmm. he won 62 percent yesterday against alcaraz um but overall a really strong week uh yeah absolutely and you look for him now nine and six in his last 52 weeks so since the tour restarted on clay he made that uh final and he won the challenger in parma got good wins there over musetti over rolla who we saw won a title a few weeks ago over Del Bonus, over Caruso. You mentioned the fact that he took it to Schwartzman. That was my takeaway from the Alcaraz match as well. And look, he was fine hitting big kick serves, and he was fine with Carlos Alcaraz knowing he was going to hit big kick serves on the ad side of the court. But then his willingness to take that Alcaraz forehand return early and just to the open space on the court, even if it wasn't for a winner, he's not going for, you know, the single sideline. He's just trying to attack the open space and then keep Alcaraz on the move. I was so impressed by Tiafo's ability to just impose physicality in the matches he played. And again, it, it he was right there. He's serving for the match. I, I don't think yeah. he had a match point, did he? I feel like no, but like, yeah, right, had a, eternally break points, but he was right there. He had his chances on those deuce points. He was, well, he had his chance, but Diego just kicked it up to le- another level yep. that just Francis just doesn't have. Um, and so there's, <laughs> I really don't think it was a choke per se. I, oh, wait, oh, wait, I'm talking. Wait, sorry. I'm thinking about when he uh, when he broke for the. Am I thinking of when he broke for the set or when he broke for the match? No, uh, no, no, no. You're correct. No, no, no. The, You're on I'm the sorry, right. When he, You're on I'm the right track here. Of, I agree with you. I'm trying to think of when he broke. You know, when he hit those two incredible passes, one off the uh, off the smash and one off, and then the one that Tiafo gave him. Oh, that was on. Sorry, that was when he broke for the set. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I was going to say, that's I'm the getting... end of the first set, but that's yeah. still, or second set, excuse me, but that, um, no, those were the key moments of the match, though, yeah. you're right, it was more about Schwartzman raising his level than yes. anything from Tiafo. but yeah. it's so funny, I look at Francis Tiafo. you, like, keep in mind, 
he just turned 23 years old. And it feels I, like he's I, been a part of our lives for so long that you'd think he's like 26, 27 years old, a veteran yeah. on tour. He's not. He's still finding his way. And the thing that makes me so encouraged about his future, David, is the fact that he does seem to get a little bit better with each passing match, each passing month, each passing season. We've talked about it before. On clay courts, he just has more time, and it's that much more difficult to attack his forehand with pace. Like, he is, he's going to beat someone uh, during this clay court run. You could argue that win over Alcaraz, who's number 22 by Tennis Abstract's clay court ELO ratings. That's a big win for him, but he's going to beat someone else. He's going to beat someone in the ATP top 20. I guess I just yeah. I don't, I don't know if that twenty two. I don't know if I'd put him. Well, maybe I don't know. I that mean, he what made the semifinal in Marbella? All of the challenger success. Alcaraz is clearly a top fifty guy on clay. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Twenty two seems old, maybe a touch high. Yeah, yeah we uh, we talk. You know, we people love to pick apart his forehand, the technique. It really, you know, it's it's holding up pretty damn well. And he played the golden swing, you know, at least two of the events, Buenos Aires and Santiago. I give him respect for that, just like I give, give Escobedo uh, respect for that, for going down to South America and grinding it out. Even in his loss to Munar in um, in uh, Buenos Aires, uh, he was I mean, right in. He was up a break in that first set, right? Yeah, he uh, he was, uh, well, he went to a tie break. And then mm-hmm. in the second set, uh, it was a tight 6-4. It was not just, you know, sometimes 6-4 can be misleading. You know, it can either just be straightforward or tight. That was a close 6-4 when he uh, had break points to serve for the second set. Um, mm-hmm. So I I really, I like his clay game almost, you know, as much as I like his hardcore game. And he played really well in Miami, too. He uh, reached the round of 16. He beat Dan Evans. He beat, who, you know, has since exploded uh, on clay. It's funny enough. Um <laughs> And he, uh, yeah, he had a chance against uh, Medvedev. If you know, Medvedev physically wasn't in that, yeah, wasn't great. Um, but yeah, anyways, <laughs> he, uh, I really like what I'm seeing from him, and I like how aggressive he's been. Yeah, no, I mean, fourth round U.S. Open, four sets against Djokovic at Australia this year. Francis Tiafo is progressing. Just wanted to bring that up because, of course, again, uh, I know how excited you must have been for that Schwartzman result. And, you know, talking about reworked forehands, that might be a perfect segue into our discussion about the ATP Challenger Tour because watching Michael Moe, all I can think is, man, that forehand does look different. The backswing looks smaller. And anyways, he was one of many players we got to enjoy compete at the uh, in Orlando at the ATP uh, Challenger. Uh, of course, it was great for us to have Mike Cation on the call once again yeah. as well. But, you know, of course, even beyond all of that, David, uh, there were a couple of other challengers, and I'd feel rude if I didn't allow yeah. you to use this platform to show Share your thoughts. Carveus Bania, a winner uh, in one of the events. Casper Zouk, the winner in the other events. We've talked so much about Zouk, and I believe it's Zouk. Uh, Damien corrected me on Monday. So Casper Zouk, uh, 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 the other champion. Your thoughts on the non-Orlando Tallahassee action. Anything you'd like to bring up yeah. from the past week of Challenger action? Yeah, the Zouk, uh, the, the, uh, however you pronounce it. I'm so sorry. Um that would yeah. You've been talking him up for a while. I in split the honestly in split the time zone was a bit of a nightmare for me. Uh, so I watched more well the most of Orlando and then Belgrade, uh, where uh, Carbias Baena uh, 
really is one of my, you know, anyone, people who follow me on Twitter might know that I like RCB a lot. Uh, <laughs> typical, he's just a clay court warrior. And um, I enjoyed watching both the final against Zoomer, uh, the part of it that I saw. And then also the rematch in Belgrade ATP qualifying the match after. That was a funny uh, coincidence. Um, what Carvajas Baena did so well is he really defended the first serve well. Um, of like he played um, his first serve return really was great. Um, besides against Arthur Ring- Rinderneck in the first round, which anyone who's seen Arthur Rinderneck knows he has a huge first serve. He. Nobody else won more than uh, won sixty percent or more of their first serves against Carbias Bayana um, that week, and he just kind of rolled through that final against Zoomer um, in straight. He had a he beat Blaz Rola um, in the uh, I believe it was the quarterfinals. Uh, Blaz Rola was red hot uh, and had, like you said earlier, won the. Uh, previous week's challenger uh, on clay, but he held Rolla in that match to 50% first serves one and 45% second serves one, which is for the Rolla serve, I think, really good numbers. And yeah, I mean, Zoomer, that match was interesting. Zoomer plays with so much variety. His touch is magnificent. He's great at the net. Um, and so it was kind of, you know, he makes things a little awkward, and Carbias Baena handled that well. Um so I yeah I I love I love watching RCB I love his consistency from the baseline his depth of shot he he never takes a point off he's a he's just a grinder he's a competitor he and I just love watching him play and I enjoy I enjoy seeing him win so you know, <laughs> I'm you know Belgrade ATP didn't go as well for him but uh it was great seeing him pick up the challenger title yeah i mean he did get the lucky loser spot he just ran into the buzzsaw my guy sun Kwan. but no i mean look carbeas benia as tough of an out as you're gonna find at the challenger level on the clay courts and you know fun stat for you david <clears throat> let's play a little trivia let's see if you can guess this there okay. are no, no, I think you're going to do this because, again, you are locked into the Challenger circuit. You may have even seen this stat floating around. I think I mentioned it on a podcast earlier in the week, so our listeners may be aware of it as well. There are four guys on the ATP Challenger Tour who have played at least 15 matches and won 75% of those 15 matches. Can you name the four? This year? This year, in 2021 matches. Oh, man. I think you can. Zizu Bergs, maybe? I'm trying to think. Zizu, I don't think, has played 15 at the challenger level. That's a good guess. He and Sebastian Baez would be right on the list in terms of win percentage Uh, if you could include them. They just don't hit the 15. Brooksby's number one. He's now, I think, 16-2 and if you include these two weeks, which is just insane. I'm sorry for swearing. I don't know what else to say. Because I, today, or in the Tallahassee match against the— Against Sabath Wield, he was just incredible. Oh, um, oh we, are, we are about to do about 30 minutes on Brooksby, David, I promise. Okay. But yeah, so he's uh, number okay. one. So, Can you name the other three? Okay, Brooksby. Yes. So I'm assuming, is Carbaez Bayana, I'm assuming, one of them if you brought him up? He is not on the list. Okay, but someone, someone in Munar is on the list, 13-2. and two, He's number two. Munar, okay. Um... <laughs> 
I'm All telling right. you, you can do this, David. I promise we're not going to take too long, listeners, because I know he's going to get it in the next 20 seconds. I'm going to give you a hint. I did bring it up because someone who competed in the Challenger Carbeas Bania 1 uh, is also on this list. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, is it... Oh, is it... Is Rinderknecht on it? It's Liam Brody. 14 oh. and 4 in his 18 challenger matches in 2021. That's about right. He made what was it? Final in South Africa, another final uh, a yeah, week later, semifinals I think the here. Thing about Liam Brody is because he just hasn't been able to uh really I mean, he's solid, but because he's never won a challenger, it can kind of slip my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can just kind of fade. I mean, he's playing well. Uh, on the, he's played much better on the clay than I expected, but he's just never been able to lift the trophy at the end of the week. Uh, yeah, no, but the reason I wanted to bring him up, he has been so good here to start this 2021 season. And, you know, he's 26 years, uh, 27 years old, excuse me, to start the year. And he is 34 and 15, David, since August of last year. That does include a couple of challenger finals that's that's outstanding if it's going to happen if yeah. he is going to crack the top 100 he's up to a new career high of number 137 it's going to be right now and like yeah. you know is it as sexy of a storyline as Aslan Karatsev who goes from the challenger circuit to the top 30 of the ATP rankings no but it's an absolute wonderful story to see what Brody has done over these past yeah. 7 months is so Rinder next and not on the list, huh? No, the last guy my hint to you no, is... Wait, Bondi. I, I'm going to get one more guess. Bondi. Who, no, so you're going to mispronounce his name, even though you know how to do it, even though you were just told. Zook? Casper Zook, 18-5 yeah. in 2021. all the quarterfinals and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Six straight quarterfinals, three straight semifinals, I think two finals in his last three events. Obviously, the title here this week. Those have been the guys. Those are yeah. we do the All Star podcast every month. Those are the All Stars of All Stars through yeah. the first few months. And I believe Juke Brooksby and Munar were all on our All Star teams when we were talking uh-huh. long term. Uh, they've I definitely made some All Star appearances. I don't think he's been on one of my teams. Brooksby or Brody? no, uh, no, 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 Zook. Oh, that is well. That's because you know he's going to be on my teams, and yeah, we don't yeah. want to double book. I'm content surprised. Wise. I guess Rinderneck has picked up some wins on the on the uh, ATP level, like in Mar- Marseille, and there. I guess there hasn't been that many indoor hearts for him to pick up uh, wins on. But yeah, I'm curious if he hits the 15 threshold. I'm going to look it up now. Arthur Rinderneck in challenger level matches here in 2021. He is 12 and five, so he okay. has a 71 percent win percentage. He would be. He's just short of the list, but he would be on the yeah. short list. If you extended this to top 10, he would definitely be on it. So that's why I knew you were going to do well, David. And oh, two of his losses, by the way. I should have known him. Yeah. <laughs> no, two of. Got Sorry, Brody. go ahead. I don't know if I would have got Brody, but I, yeah. I should have got Zoo. Yeah, no, two of uh, Rinderneck's losses were to Carbeas Bania last week and to Casper Zouk, uh back in January. So, like, his losses are two of the best players on the challenger circuit right now. That is why he is having success at the ATP level. But again, that's enough foreplay. Let's get into the serious topics. Hey, Cracked fans. 
As winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Crack Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips, they've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro, which all of you Gamma string users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma strings, maybe now's the time to start, but they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Let's start with last week's Orlando Challenger, and you look at the result, David. Jensen Brooksby, we just talked about it. He was 14-2 mm-hmm. and two following Orlando as he earns his uh, second Challenger title of this 2021 season. He has now made the final of three straight Challengers. We can blend in some Tallahassee talk here as yeah. well, so we don't have to talk about him I repeatedly. Mean, he beats... Right? Yeah, no, I mean, he beats Dom after losing a first set 7-6, and you think to yourself, okay, he just played a week of challenger tennis, he loses a first set, maybe he's just going to say, you know what, I'm going to take this week off, reset, come back the next week. No, that's not what Jensen Brooksby does. He works Martin Dom the next two sets. Yeah. Then today against Sabeth Vild doesn't get broken and breaks him to start the second set after an emotional, physical first set of tennis. Great points, David. I mean... I, it's just ridiculous. It's just, and, and here's the thing. We've talked about him a little bit, but now let's, you know, let's do a deep dive on Jensen Brooksby, who, okay. of course, I think it was back in 2018. It's a mini Next Gen 2.0 podcast here. We're making up for the lack of one we've done on Jensen Brooksby, who entered the week ranked number 194 in the world into the top 200 for the first time. He is 20-4 and four here, David, now to start his 2021 season. He lost first round of that South first South African challenger. He then goes title there, final in Cleveland, where he loses a fun final match, two for Tangelo. Played He's Miami. Right? He was a little yeah, injured. a little injured, uh, but of course that didn't matter for him as he immediately flew down to Miami, played in qualies, lost a three-set qualifying final, finally got a week off, made the most of it, straight sets throughout his draw, and again, it, was, it wasn't it was the most difficult draw, but a win over an informed... And to beat him 3-1, and one, so impressive. To beat a very informed Christian Harrison, 5-1, and one, and then, I mean, he... Look, I love Dennis Kudla. Dennis is kind enough to respond to my text whenever I text to him as well. And I'm saying this lovingly. Brooksby just broke him down. Like, that's just what Jensen does. He breaks his opponents. And it's not pretty. You know, it's it's like these... It's Squidward-like arms, right? He's got these octopus (laughs) arms and these long legs. And he just kind of reaches out for the ball. And yet... He gets such great depth, such great yeah. placement on all of his ground strokes, moves the ball so well around the court, David. There isn't an overwhelming weapon, but, like, 
if you're talking what is Jensen Brooksby's biggest weakness, you'd probably say his serve. Here's his numbers for him over the last 52 weeks. He's made 70% of his first serves, David. 68. He's winning 68% of his first yeah. serve points, 53% of his second serve points. He's holding 79% of the time, which would be like right around the 30 range of the top 50 players on the ATP Tour. Like I again, adjust yeah. for competition, but it, it like what's the weakness? Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually, I was about to say, you know, he, the least number of percent of first serves he won all last week was, uh, I believe, 66% against uh, Jason Young. And then the final, he won 77% of his first serves against Martin Dam. He won 70%. Today, he won 79%. That's not, I mean, yes, his first serve isn't massive, but he's still winning a good percentage of his first serve points. Um, so I really don't see it as that big of a weakness. Yeah, you talk about the Squidward arms. Uh, he can really, he can, he just pokes the ball back in the perfect position with the perfect spin. It's just amazing watching his consistency, but just what he can do with the ball, even when he's in extremely defensive positions. Um Last week, uh, his he was returning the second serve really well. The mm-hmm. highest number of second serve percent, uh, the highest percent of an opponent had against him on second serve was forty three percent. Christian Harrison won forty three percent. Dennis Cuddle in the final thirty three percent of his second serves won um, mm-hmm. against Brooksby's return. He broke serve at least four times in every match, but the first one against Jason Young. Um, he broke Christian Harrison's serve, which is a pretty damn big serve. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, six times. He broke South Billick five times. Zane Khan, five times. Really good stuff. No, it's it, it was silly. And, you know, I think I saw a comparison. Uh, you know, I, I've seen people float some comparisons for Jensen Brooksby because it is so unorthodox. And I think we've talked about it before. It's like if Stefan Kozlov had a little bit more size and a little bit more drive point to point, right? For Brooksby, just the way he competes. And if you were his opponent, you'd hate his guts. Like you absolutely would despise him because he is groaning and grunting and pumping himself up after the big points. As a fan, you love it. Because that is a guy who is absolutely invested in the sport, who wants to be the absolute best tennis player he can be and is giving, I know this is such a cliche, but a thousand percent of himself in every point. And you know who the comparison is? And it's, I say this lovingly, and I feel protective of Jensen at this point. Because again, I've talked about this before. He is a guy I have gotten to know a little bit over the past few years and just knowing the stuff he's gone through off of the court as well. What do you think of this comparison? It's like Medvedev 0.75, and the missing 0.25 is the six foot six and the serve that comes with yeah. Daniil Medvedev's body because his ability to win free points, particularly on indoor hard courts, hard courts in general, that plus his make every ball mentality, it's why he's a nightmare. I, I said this stat during the Australian Open and during his winning streak. He was holding serve at the rate of John Isner and breaking serve at, at the rate of prime Novak Djokovic. Like, that player, by math, is unbeatable. I don't know if Brooksby has that sort of upside to be, you know, that yeah. sort of Daniil Medvedev just because of that serve component. But, to your point, he places his serve so well. He'll hit that sneaky flat one out wide on the ad side. He'll hit that big flat one down yeah. the tee as well. 
his serve is not going to be an issue, particularly if he's making his first serve at a 70% clip, and that matches the eye test. He's a high percentage player. I don't think that's a, you know, it's only 24 matches, not the biggest sample size. I don't think that's an outlier. I he's think that's going to be the trend. percentage player until he does this crazy, like, half volley or drop shot. <laughs> trips like in, uh, when he was serving for today, uh, or uh, against the uh, save off the wheel at Love 15, where he just ripped that backhand up the line for the yeah. winner. He's just, he's a play, I agree, to until he's not, you know? Um, yeah, no, he lulls you to sleep, right? It's Medvedev yeah. in that you, you're like, oh, he's just going to go cross-court, 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 hit this big loopy ball on the forehand. And I think opponents know, be aware of the backhand. He could go down the line at any moment, but he lulls you to sleep like he did against Dennis Kudla in that final on multiple occasions. Uh, and then he'll just go big down the line. Or he'll yeah. hit that big, loopy, ripping cross-court forehand ball to open up the rest of the court. And, you know, again, I hate to say, I love Jensen. He knows this. If he's listening to this, I doubt he is, but you're my guy, Jensen. <laughs> I would say he's in the Taylor Fritz camp uh, in terms of volleyers. He does not want to be at the net. He'll go when it's like, all right, I have to go. And, like, that yeah. was young Taylor Fritz as well. But you can tell whenever he hits overheads, whenever he hit, he's hitting volleys, whenever he hits a bad half volley, the way he just kind of is at the net, like, oh, what do I do? Should I gas? Should I do whatever? It's just not, it doesn't come natural to him yet. But again, when you're nitpicking and saying, well, he's not a natural at the net, and I wish his first serve had a little more pop, like, I, I don't know what else to say. Even watching him on the green clay, David, I, I thought maybe he'd be a half step slow as the pace of the game and as his right. opponents hit the ball harder. I don't know if that's an issue. Like, he just, he anticipates so well. Yeah, I know. I mean, he looks, honestly, he... He, yeah, he might not look quite as good as he does on hardcore, but he still like he looked fine to me when I've seen him uh, yeah. on the on the green clay. Now, obviously, green clay is a lot different than red clay, um, mm-hmm. so we I don't know how that will trans. You know, it's a little faster, right? Uh, it's a little more like hardcore compared to uh, red clay, so I don't know how that translates to say if he's in Roland Garris qualifying. But I'm I'm nothing. I'm I was so impressed with him today. Just the the instincts he has, you know, he always picks the right shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, always picking the right shot, and the depth that he got in his shots, it was just you know compared, and he's just so strong mentally. It was really, it was really you know against Save Out the Wheel, it was really like a you know you have more someone like uh, Save Out the Wheel who's so talented, got the big forehand, you know, has that big weapon, um, but just doesn't have it together mentally like someone such as Brooksby, who just is a mental warrior. So it was a so impressed with him. Spectacular. Yeah, no, I mean, look, again, it's a mini next gen 2.0 podcast. The backhand's just legit. Like it's it's up there with the Tommy Pauls, the Sebastian Cordas, the Dennis Kudlas in terms of best of the best. I would throw Mitchell Kruger in there quietly in American men's uh, tennis. Yeah. yeah, but I'm just talking backhands. We're just talking okay. backhands for now. But anyways, you look for Brooksby, and again, was a former Kalamazoo champion, which for those of you who don't know what that is, USDA Boys 18's national champion. That gets you into uh, the main draw of the U.S. Open. If you win it, you get a wild card. He then used that wild card uh, to, I believe, uh, or yeah, I think he got the wild card. I think he ended up going through qualies. I don't know yes, why he had to go through qualies. He qualies. definitely went through qualies. I think he yeah. beat Pedro Martinez, right? Yeah, no, he beat Pedro Martinez, he beat Yuki Sagita, he beat Uchida, he then beat Tomas Burdich before losing 
to Basilashvili. That 2019 campaign, he goes 30-11 and 11 overall in his Pro Tour matches, a couple of Futures Championships mixed into that season, Futures titles, excuse me. Um, but, you know, then elected to go to uh, Baylor for a year where Turf Toe plagued him. He wasn't able to play a yeah. single match. And then, you know, for him, he got to play a couple of UTR events at the end of last season, beginning of this year, but used his protected ranking and absolutely made the most of it. And here's our final thought on Brooksby, David. Just, again, some numbers for you right now. Jensen Brooksby in the ATP Live rankings with his Tallahassee quarterfinal up to a new career high of number 188. Remember that number, David. He's ranked number 188 in the world. By the ATP race, which is, again, the approximation how good you've been, how many points have you accumulated compared to everyone else just in 2021, he's the number 59 player. Wow. You want to look by tennis abstracts elo rating in terms of total elo which measures over the course of a bunch of seasons not just this season he's number 69 when you look at just the 2021 elo rating for jensen brooksby he's all the way up at number 45 now it's been a lot of challenger level success for him but again how many times do we see guys go from the challengers and make that big jump you look yeah. for jensen brooksby yeah, he's done it four weeks in a row now, consecutively at the yeah. challenger level. And just when I when you look at those numbers, 188, which is the actual ranking, or number 45, or excuse me, number, what was it, number 69, which is his ELO rating, which is more accurate? To me, it's the ELO. I think he's been a top 100 player here this year, and that's crazy uh, to say. It, it's hard to say because we haven't seen you know seen him at the, really at the ATP level. Um, yeah. I would say somewhere in the middle. I would say he's probably around 100. I would say he's probably in that 90 to 100 range. I would say sure. he's a top 100 player for sure. Um, he's he has a dynamic game, and I I really think I can see him frustrating a lot of you know higher ranked players um, in the future. I wait. I can't wait to see him. Uh, I'm sure he'll get a bunch of wild cards uh, during the U.S. You know during uh, the North American swing. Um, so I think I think that's really when he's going to announce himself to the world. And not, not just us who are following him on the challenger door. Yeah, no, I mean, again. Besides, I mean, he did make the U.S., you know, besides the Burnage win, but people have probably forgot about that. No, I, I agree with you. And again, it's like, it's it's very, uh, there are some little things. It's like you would love a little bit more pop on the serve. And he's a little stiff in the hips, but yeah. he anticipates so well it makes up for that. And you do wonder... He doesn't have the biggest game, but he does seem to just absorb and react so well. How does that translate as the ball that he's getting hit uh, at him gets bigger and the athleticism he's coming up against gets higher and higher? But that's the question now. It's like, all right, he's proved it against the challenger level. Like now moving forward, if you're trying to define his ceiling, you need to see it at the ATP level, right? He's been that good here over these past few weeks. Uh, But again, it wasn't just Jensen Brooksby, who's also a quarterfinalist, as we mentioned. And yeah, his anticipation, his first step, his variety has looked so good on these clay courts. Uh, But you look back to Orlando, some of the results we saw uh, unfold there. 
there uh, in particular. You know, Dennis Kudla, I, I said it before the week, I think he's a guy who has played sneaky uh, really, really well over these past, you yeah. know, really since the tour resumed in August. If you saw him play world team tennis at all, he was really successful during that season. And then you look for him over his last 52 weeks, 17 and 11. Uh, that includes the challenger final here in Orlando. It includes a challenger title in carry at the end of last season. For him last week, you know, it was straight set wins over uh, Michael Moe and I believe, who, who else? I think he'd be John Menendez in that first round. And then three set wins over big serving Tim Van Richeven, mm-hmm. who knocked off the number one seed this that's week. A, in that's Ecuador. a sneaky good win. Yeah, and Van Richeven's played very well late. And then to out-physical Roberto Sid in those semifinals. High semifinals, for sure. Yeah, it was interesting, the Orlando Airport Challenger, how quick those courts were, right? They played yeah. very, very fast, and yet... I mean, for Kudla, his ability to take that return early. He's just, I, I mean, I still see it. Like, you're just like, I don't think there's any slippage for him. Who's, he's currently ranked number 117. Yeah. That feels about right. Yeah, um, he uh, he's solid. He, yeah. That's that's the way I would describe him. Solid, he takes the ball early. He's aggressive when he can. Uh, I, I like what I see. Um, I like what I've seen. He is, you, you know... I don't know if he's going to now make some like huge breakthrough again, you know, another big, you know, push up the rankings or anything, but it was a great, it was a good week for him. Um, it was also a good week for, uh, Braden Schnur got a good win over for Tangelo and Tabilo, uh, to make the quarterfinals and, and Christian Harrison also, but had a great, you know, he, he really had a tough draw McDonald, Kovacevic, Sock, and he won all three, uh, in straight sets. So, mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you. And, you know, for Dennis Kudla, who bounced back, by the way, and won his first-round match three sets yesterday, we'll get to Tallahassee more over Rybakov. Uh, that was a great performance for him. But you're right, up and down the board, I mean, Christian Harrison looked excellent last yeah. week. And, you know, this is coming off of a really, what was it, semifinals for him, I believe, in Delray Beach to start the season. And you look for Harrison last week gets wins, as you mentioned, over Mackey first round. Although I think we talked about that on last week's pod, how many chances Mackey had yeah. in that match. But then, you know, just out physicaled Kovacevic and yeah. Jack Sock. And both Sock and Kovacevic, especially in those Orlando conditions, had the games you would think to hit through Harrison. But he'd hit those big kicks, did a really good job of moving his forehand around the court, did a really good job of just finding the center of the court against Jack Sock and then withstanding that first forehand, getting that ball to his backhand wing. Um, yeah, no, I mean, he just, but, Christian Harrison served really well all week as yeah. well. That was big for him. But the, I hate I hate to bring Brooksby up again. It's amazing that Brooksby just completely neutralized. Uh, yeah, he was just like, no, nah, we're good. He won, for Harrison won 47% of his service points against uh, Brooksby. For someone who was serving the way he was before, that's ridiculous. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, it was so funny because he'd hit the big, it's it just that sock match. So let's talk about Jack Sock quickly, who was a quarterfinalist okay. here this week and one and one win over Watanuki, three and four win over Gudeswar, and he hit both of them off the courts. I yeah. mean, he got early breaks in both of those matches, held on to those breaks, did such a good job of finding forehands. I thought he was moving really well. I thought his serve was ripping through the courts. I thought he was going to win that first set against Christian Harrison. I was very, very surprised He's, once Harrison took it. And then... Turn well in the Harrison match. No, really? it was weird, right? I, I just, like, I, I... Something was off with Sock in that match. He had played such a good week of tennis, and then he just... He was a little flat in that quarterfinal. He, 
He won 16 of 61 return points in that match. That's yes. really loud. And it's a credit to Harrison, who made 70% of his first serves in that match, and I think in total dropped 11 points on serve in the 61 total points he played. That's pretty damn good. Um, But yeah, it just, Sock really could not find a clean, he couldn't get a start to to rallies in in his return games because Harrison was so effective with that first serve. Yeah, no, and Sock, you know, he's still a little rusty, you know, or he's still, you know, He's still on the comeback. He's not the sock that you think about winning, you know, the Paris Masters. Uh, you know, so he just, you know, he has his bad days. He had a bad day. What, did he lose? He, was it today? Or, I get my days confused. Was it today or yesterday he lost to Young? Uh, I think it was. Uh, uh, I think it was two days ago. Two days First ago. round, Ryan. Oh, no, no, no. That was yesterday because he played the three-set yeah. physical match and then he had to play back-to-back days, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, yeah, so he uh, – you know, he has his days where he looks great, and he has his days where, you know, the backhand's getting exposed. He's not returning well. He's, you know, maybe not, you know, a little pouty on the court. Um, so, Sock is, he's on, he's on the comeback, but it's not going to be something that's going to happen overnight. Um, it's going to be a more long term. But, you know, if he can keep reaching, you know, challenger quarterfinals and yeah, challenger semifinals, maybe, you know, he'll eventually break through and get back to the ATP level, but it's, it's going to be a long road. Yeah, no, I mean, my thing is, I, I just think the level is there. Like, I watched him play that match, and I thought his level against Christian Harrison was the exception, not the rule for the week. I thought those first two matches, he just, yeah, he just breezed through them. And then first set against Jason Jung before he rolled his ankle or whatever it was in early in that second set, I thought he brought that level once again, David. I thought, I just, I do think Jack Sock, you know, for Kudla, how much does he play? What's the surface? That, I think that does matter. For Sock, it's a volume thing. Just give him enough yeah. matches. I think the I still see it. Like that forehand and serve, you're yeah. just like that's better than everyone else. Yeah. No, he has the. I mean, he has one of the biggest weapons on the challenger door. We can say. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't think that's. A, I don't think that's an exaggeration to say that in terms of his forehand. There's not. You're, you'd be hard to find a challenger player with a bigger weapon than that. Yeah, no, completely fair. Well, then, with that in mind, rapid-fire edition of some of the other takes I had from this edition, uh, from this podcast, uh, from this podcast, from this edition, excuse me, hey, great shot to me, from this event, Michael Moe, three-set win over Martin Dom, 6-4, one made that match really physical as it went on, then got another three-set win over big-serving Chris Eubanks, who sneakily played very well of late. He, he uh, did well today. I can well, that. yeah. He played awful today, to be honest. Did he? I, to be honest. I hadn't seen the match yet, but he now. just with an unforced error machine, which can happen when you play with as low margins as he does, you know. Yeah, next time give me a spoiler alert, Jesus. No, I'm uh, just kidding. Uh, um, no, that's no, totally fair. Um, look, just for Michael Mo, I mentioned it as we transitioned in. I think he actually made a, a tactical adjustment, like a, a form adjustment to his forehand. It looks a little smaller, and then, you know, yeah. obviously, physically, he continues to look larger um, in a good way, like just gets stronger and stronger with every match. I think his forehand now, it used to be like a more of a placeholder, and he'd have to really focus to rip it. I think there's more drive on it now, just shot in, shot out today. Uh, please, by all means, I was going to say, today he was a straight set winner in Tallahassee. I'm going to just be brutally honest here. And I was actually talking to someone about Michael Moe recently. Uh, do you see him rising up the rankings that much? I just don't see anything in his game 
that's gonna, you know, I don't see that big, you know, stock type for you. Not that I just don't see anything that really makes me think that he's gonna rise up the rankings too quickly. I sorry to rain on the parade. No, but- I. It's a fair point, and I jostle back and forth between my Michael Mo takes so frequently, and it's just because when it looks good, when he's locked in and healthy yeah. physically, it's just so hard to get a ball by him and his ability to turn defense into offense. And he's another guy who at the beginning. He wasn't comfortable at the net, just period. He wasn't, and it's a little bit better now. Like, you can tell. He knows, oh, I have so much space, it's time for me to move forward. And, you know, he's still a little handsy, he's still a little mechanical with that first volley, but he's so much more comfortable with his instincts at the net now. And you see the rest of Michael Moe's game. He's going to learn how to volley, you know, well at some point in his career. You also keep in mind the fact that he's been top 100 before that. Much like Francis Tiafo, he's only 23 years old, and it felt like every time Michael Moe got going he's dealt with an injury thus far in his career I just think physically yes because I I think he's someone who much like Brooksby he just plays to the level of the competition the bigger you hit the ball the bigger he's gonna hit the ball shot in shut out and that does have a ceiling when your pace is reliant on someone else but I think that ceiling is very high I think he's got you know I think I think he could be a top 50 guy I I don't think he's gonna be a top 30 guy but I absolutely think he could sniff the top 50 if he's healthy for like three years consecutively I mean the numbers speak for themselves okay so we found two things we disagree about michael mo and holger rune (laughs) (laughs) that's good no offense to michael mo but i think someone like you mentioned tiafo he just has he just hit i just think tiafo has more weapons than michael i agree no but i i think the serve for michael mo can be as big as the francis tiafo first serve I don't think he's as instinctual on the court. I think it's a little bit more robotic. Again, Michael Moe, you see the years at IMG where it's just like forehand this, forehand this, forehand this, cross, cross, mm-hmm. cross, line. Francis Tiafo is so creative. His feel, his ability to make, you know, yeah. his ability to make, uh, ra- yeah, his just ability to make sense out of the chaos during a point uh, is what makes him so exciting. That being said, you know, some of those improv, you know, a lot of those improvis- improvisational skills are still there for Mo. I do agree with you, though. It gets a little tentative at times, and then he'll go through these phases where he tries to be overly aggressive, and you're like, you don't need to do that today. And there's just a lot of questions because he can do a lot of things. But I'm still intrigued enough by those things that I say yes. I think there's a three-year stretch for him mm. solidly inside the top 100. Yeah, I guess for me, I'm just kind of thinking back to a couple of the matches I've watched recently. With, uh, Peter Polanski in Tallahassee. Sure. Uh, he really he could have easily lost that match in straight sets. He won it in straights, but still. And then I watched him against, and then recently Musetti. I'm just thinking about against like Musetti and uh, Acapulco. Did you see that one? Yeah, but so my counter to you, you look for him here in this 2021 season. Michael Moe, eight and five to start the year, but let's play some context with that. Qualifies in Australia, gets the win over Rinderneck, loses a warm-up match to Giron in Australia, then beats Troisky before losing to Nadal. Don't think anyone's going to criticize yeah, the that, Nadal loss. Three-side loss to Nishioka. I mean, that's a match you got to win if you want to be in the top 100, but it's a three-set loss. You take it with a grain of salt. Yes, he lost 4-4 four and four to Musetti, but Musetti was on fire coming off of that result in Acapulco, yeah. and he's been so good of I, late. I'm just thinking about it in terms of, like, the dynamicism that I saw from, like, Musetti versus just Mo is just playing kind of like a plain game. So here's a fair litmus test for him. 
He should beat Brooksby tomorrow, right? He okay. should yeah. because Brooksby's played, what, seven matches in nine days, and they're yes. all physical. That's his game style. But, you know, the last thing you want to do is play Michael Moe with dead legs. And if Michael Moe commits tomorrow and just makes every rally 10, 15 shots, he may even lose the first set 6-3. But as that match progresses, and I thought that was the case today against Ryan Harrison, he did a really good job of doing the same thing to a Harrison coming off yeah. of a three-set match against against Donald Young. Like again, it's it's one two out of three set match, but I, I like I I do think if this if this is my, this is a match Michael Moe should win and then once he does, yeah. actually, like it's a really impressive start to his season. Yeah, no, I actually think, you know, I think that he this is the type of matchup that he sh- you know, because it's of play that too. because of how he's able to can how he's just able to get depth and good and good control over his ground strikes. He really should beat Brooksby, who's I think is probably I could even see it a little bit today wearing down just a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that Mo, and I agree that Mo should wear him down a little bit. I, we agree there. There um, it is. I like it. Here's a crazy Michael Mo number for you: 163 and 99 in his career hardcourt matches. 17 and 19 in his career on clay. That feels low. Like, that feels yeah. way too low. And you look for him at the challenger level in clay court matches for uh, Michael Moe thus far. He is 9 and 7. This would be his, uh, this is, excuse me, only his third quarter final. He did at Tallahassee 2018. He did at Savannah 2018 as well. I believe he played French Open that 2018 season. Um, but look, it's fair to say there are a lot of questions surrounding Michael Moe. It's funny, I said rapid fire through uh, that. I'm glad we had that discussion. Again, we're focusing on these American challengers here on today's podcast. Hey, he, uh, please, by all means, all you, David. Oh, I was just, you know, he served really well today. 80% yeah. first serves. Oh, he was only a 51% for his first serve percentage, but that was good. And you know what? I, we'll, we'll archive this and we can put it, you know, in five years, we can do that. For three years that we can see. Uh. No, 100% agree with you there. It's a, it's definitely a wait and see. We'll put a pin in this one. But, all right, now we can rapid fire. Roberto Sid, top 100 someday, yes or no? No. I mean, uh, I like Roberto. I've watched him a ton because he yeah. played a lot during the pandemic in his ex- exhibition. So I've seen Sid more than m- most. But uh, I don't. I just don't see I backhand side. It just is not good enough for him to uh, make really, the top one. Really good at making matches physical. I actually think he benefited from the quick courts. And, you know, he was he played at UC, uh, USF. He knows how to play these Florida outdoor matches as well as anyone. I thought he was as adapted to the conditions uh, as anyone. I would lean your way. Again, tough physical out, but I'm not sure what the big weapon is. Still, he is going to make some challenger quarterfinal, semifinal runs, or perhaps even earn a title this year in 2020. I like just, these game stores. Yeah, just hover in that top 200 because he can do a lot of things. Yeah, I'm sorry to be so negative. I feel like- No, I like it. No, because I agree with you. And again, this is why I like to have you on because you tell it how it is. Yeah, well, I do like to tell people I'm a realist. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't know if I, yeah, maybe I can sometimes, you know, be a little, yeah, I try to be as realistic as I can. Yeah, I love it. I appreciate that. Well, again, I'm going through here. Uh, Tim Van Richeven. Okay. How intrigued are you? Scale one am, to ten. Uh, seven? That's yeah. pretty high. I, that's a good number. I would say 7.2, 7.3. <laughs> 
I mean, he is a huge game. Huge yeah. for sure. And uh, forehand. That, I mean, watching him rip through Mitchell Kruger, there was a point where Mitchell Kruger made a face like, man, fuck you. Like, what <laughs> am I, this isn't fun for either of us. Like, there's no way you're enjoying yourself right now because he just hits that big. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, forehand's huge. Serve is, first serve is huge. He can control the, he can control the court really well. I'm intrigued. Now, I don't know how great his rally tolerance is. I don't know if he can, I don't know how, you know, he can have a good run. I, good run here and there. I don't know if he can sustain it, but I'm, and I'm definitely very intrigued. He has weapons. He has big weapons and that intrigues me. Mm-hmm. No, all right, I agree with you there. Last name from Orlando, then we can talk Tallahassee here down the home stretch because I know we've talked about I have something, yeah, because I want to talk about Juan Manuel. Uh, oh, for sure. be- no, uh, believe me, we're getting to Tallahassee, I promise. But last Orlando name, okay. Zane Khan. We've talked about him before. Three-set mm-hmm. win over Kevin King gets a 6-6 six and six win over Uchiyama. Man, does the ball explode off of his yeah. racket. I, I I need to see more. I'm not ready to make a proclamation yeah. of ceiling or floor or whatever, but I'm intrigued. Like, if you are a casual tennis fan who has never watched tennis, who doesn't follow it closely, if you watch that Brooksby-Zane Khan match again, you're gonna you're like, oh, I know Brooksby won today, but I'm, I might want to watch Zane Khan more moving forward because that guy's got talent. Yeah, you said it best. The ball explodes off his racket. He's ultra aggressive he he's mm-hmm. passionate um some people don't like that type of passion you know they were the very very vocal um but that was a very vocal match in general um mm-hmm. against brooksby uh but i love his passion i love his aggressive mindset i love how he really tries to step up in the court and rip shots um i'm very intrigued i'll, I'll put him in an eight yeah <laughs> I agree. He's an eight four to me. Like maybe even an eight six. Like I, I just I want to see more. Like I I get yeah. now why he skipped college. I would have. I think college would have been great for him just to play a lot of matches. He would have loved that, that power. Exactly. Couldn't agree with you more. That said, I mean I get it now. Like the ball does absolutely explode off of his rack, and he's been one of the top American juniors his entire life. So glad to see him have a little bit of success down in Orlando. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. All right, with that in mind, let's talk about Tallahassee. And you look okay. now, we're entering uh, quarterfinals here in the event. Uh, th- uh, today, we had some round of 16 matches. It was Brooksby knocking off Sabid Field for 6-4. Uh, and four. We kind of already covered that. Mo, we talked about 4-3 and three win over Ryan Harrison. Fesundo Mina, 4-6-6-3-6-4 over Braden Schnur. And then Mikhail Torpegard, friend of like the program here. Did, today. did you see that? I, excuse me, say that again. I don't like I don't like uh, what Schnur did today. Did you at see the, what he did? Was it at the end of the match when he circled the wrong mark that was clearly like well far away from the actual mark? I didn't see that. I'm not gonna lie, but I I mean okay. that match was physical. You could tell both of those guys were like, "Get me off this court." Yeah, no, I mean I just like you know we saw with Ryan Harrison, we saw with Francis Tiafo just playing with some integrity. I just didn't think that was right of him. Yeah, no, clearly yeah, I, it was like two away. It was yeah. not the right. Mark. No, it's 
it's been a lot of mark circling. I forgot about mark circling. I forgot about like the joys of clay court tennis of the chair umpire <laughs> coming down from the chair and checking out the mark and like the little interactions. And it was today where I think Sabeth build on a second serve that Brooksby hit was like, that's her first serve uh, in that five oh, ball yeah, game. He was yeah. like, that ball was out. And he was like, no, I, I think it was in. And it was, you know, how great was it? Uh, Sabeth Vild hits a backhand like he misses a ball and so he hits a backhand just out of anger after the point it hit Brooksby yeah I saw and it, then yeah. I just love Mike goes boys will be boys and you're just like yeah boys will be boys Brooksby was unfazed he was like I don't yeah. I, he's like what are you apologizing for I didn't notice anything yeah um yeah that was a good one and yeah Torpegard's playing pretty well this week I would say um he, he beat Sakamoto today uh, 170% of his first serves. He beat Bellucci in the first round. Bellucci was not good, but he won 80, but Torpegard won 81% of his first serves in that match. Um, so I, I think he's, you know, it's nice to see him kind of uh, start to gain back some form. Uh, he had lost five matches in a row before that. And then, can I, can I, can I, do you mind if I just, say a quick word on from about Juan Manuel Sarandola. Well, this is why we always invite you back. Here's what I'm going to do, David. The floor is yours. Wherever oh, you want to go next in Tallahassee, I want to follow you because okay. I've watched, again, if I've missed, I may have missed one match from Tallahassee, but I just, I can't miss the opportunity to listen to my sensei on the call. So take us wherever you want to go. What has okay. stood out to you most in Tallahassee? So here's what I'm going to say. And this might be a hot take. It might not be a hot take. Uh, I don't know. Okay, so Juan Manuel Sorrento, he won Cordoba, right? Mm-hmm. I think that might be the worst thing that happened to him in the history. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it gave, it has given him the mindset and the incentive to be way not aggressive enough, way too conservative. It's like it's almost like when in basketball, when I'm a Pelicans fan, when Eric Bledsoe hits his first three. Um, and, and I get really upset because that means he's going to hit, try to shoot more threes. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that. Um, because for, I just don't think that it's like he won his first tournament playing com- totally conservative. He took advantage of the wind. He played really great variety, but he's now just standing way too far back in the, or he, you know, he's just got the incentive now to stay way too far back in the court. He's not being nearly aggressive enough. He lets Schnur completely, Completely dictate that match um and i don't think it's going to be good in the long run if he plays this way i think he needs to have much more i think not much more but i think he needs to have some level of aggression that we're just not seeing right now because he has the lefty forehand to do it you know he should be controlling trying to control the court more that lefty forehand what do yeah. you think uh so the fact that Schnur was underhand serving him successfully on like multiple occasions yeah i mean that's just an indictment like you can't have that happen and his speed is out, like it's outstanding. Yeah. He can go from 13 feet behind the baseline to tracking down your drop shot every time. And he baits yeah. you into that because he knows that. But at a certain point, that's just not acceptable because even if you can track down the first drop shot, the better players, the top 50, top 30 players, all right, you'll track down the drop shot. What they're going to do next point is just open you up even wider and just keep going cross court until they're at the net and they're going to be in such an advantageous position that doesn't matter how good you are hitting passing shots in these 50 feet high lobs from 12 feet behind the baseline that's just not sustainable form of tennis over the long term and like you know serving issues are serving issues every 
player under the age of 21 is going to struggle with their server. It's not going right. to be in its final form, except for maybe Taylor Fritz, who you could just tell right, right away. You're just like, yep, that works. But like, mm-hmm. that is the exception, not the rule. But yeah. yeah, it's just, it's a mindset. It's it's absolutely, it's just to, at a certain point, you got to play to win. And I know he right. plays to be the last man surviving, and that definitely works. But that's sort of a junior mentality. Like, that's where his youth sort of shows through. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, the, you know, the serve, it's not great. But that's not really, I think, like you said, that's not really the problem. It's the mm-hmm. fact that, like, as you mentioned Schnur was able to underarm serve him, you know, a bunch successfully. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you shouldn't, you got to step up in the court, especially when you have a forehand that I really think he could do some damage if he stepped up a little more and was a little more aggressive with that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, it would give him the opportunity, you know, to be, you know, he can still use his variety, you know, the, the drop shot when you're in an aggressive position and the other person is, other guy is pushed back. Um, that's that's a good shot to use, but when you're standing at the fence, there's not much you can do. No, exactly. It's like if he put the oomph into every ground stroke that he did when he's hitting passing shots, he would just be a baller, like from the yeah. baseline. It's like you don't need to only hit it that hard on passing shots. Like you can do that during rallies as well. And yeah, it was just a little tentative. That being said, he does belong at the challenger level. Like yeah, he should sure. be competing, and there's a, he's going to take some lumps, but... There's still a lot to like. Just as a package, the way he competes, again, it's a little less aggr- It's six feet further behind the baseline than Brooksby is, but there's a lot to like about the way he moves the ball around, the way he responds, how instinctual his game is. But I do agree that was a disappointing result for him here in Tallahassee. And, you know, again, you look across the board. For me, one of the big results, uh, A, this was my first time really locking in on Martin Dom in that first round against Jensen Brooksby. I'm in with you. Like, big lefty, moves well, plays aggressive, but it's a comfortable movement for him, too. Like, it's not a a forced thing. He's not like a string bean. It's like, oh, no, 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 he's a full 6'5", but he's comfortable in his body. I I think he is only going to continue to get better. Huge win for Kwiatkowski over Mitchell Kruger, just from a confidence standpoint. Ditto by the way, for Torpegard, much-needed quarterfinal. Uh, but again, we still have a lot to learn this week from Tallahassee. Yeah. So your thoughts on any other players, your thoughts on the things you'll be watching the yeah. rest of the week. A couple, yeah, a couple things. Uh, yeah, Kwiatkowski, that was a good win. Kruger, he, I tweeted this, and I'm, I like, you know, I, I, I like Mitchell. Forehand's a bit of a mess. He's a bit of a mess right now. The forehand's just not, the forehand's not good, and the backhand's not good enough right now to cover for the weaknesses of the forehand. I want to also just say that you know, on a more positive note, I really <laughs> like how uh, Philippe uh, Giannou is playing. Um, I saw him in qualies against Kovacevic. Uh, they played, I believe it was 7-6 in the third, 7-4 in the tiebreak. Kovacevic, very talented. I am much more on the bandwagon than I used to be. Um, <laughs> but Giannou would really solid just such a solid he really feel he's really comfortable on the green clay he beat pop goat yesterday um from a set down and he uh just solid numbers 66 percent first serves one 62 percent second serves one he held uh pop go to 46 percent second serves one uh broke pop go four times um it was a really uh solid effort and i yeah i like i like how he's playing um he i believe he's only 19 years old Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, uh, no, I think that's sure. right. That sounds right. 
yeah, 19 years old. So he's kind of he's still young. You know, I didn't realize he was that young. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, there's not any. Again, we were saying this with Mo. There's not huge weapons, but I like you know he seems comfortable out there, and it's a good week so far for him. It'll be tough against Menezes in the second round. Um, the, Menezes actually, I think, has a good shot to win this thing. To win this thing. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it. See, I said this in uh, a mini break earlier in the week. I'm going to stick by the take. I said if Fratangelo could get through Karlovic, he was winning the event. And oh, I thought Bjorn played excellent against Karlovic. Like, considering yeah. the sort of game style you have to play in that match, he was so disciplined. He was so focused. I'm in on the Bjorn Fratangelo experience right now. I mean, you look, who did he lose to in Orlando? I think he it was. He did, it was a tight, tight match. Um, he didn't. He didn't play his best, but it was like it could. The second set could have really went either way. Yeah, and I just, I really, I mean, I got to see it in person, so I'm a little bit biased after watching him uh, mm-hmm. in Cleveland. But I just, I mean, uh, these, you know, he's always been good on the green clay, and I think yeah. clay courts have always brought out the best in his well-rounded game. Um, yeah, I just, I, I think he wins this week. But I, I again, Watanuki is going to be a tough a matchup. Certainly, I don't know. I, I the Menendez call isn't bad either. I mean, for both of us though, Cuddle let's be honest. No, let's be honest. Brooksby's going to win. Like, let's we're very yeah. clear. He doesn't lose anymore. Um, but yeah, for Tangelo would be my pick. Okay. Well, anyone I pick is immediately jinxed. So congrats <laughs> to Tangelo. And sorry, yeah. man. Well, the crazy thing, it's like Mo versus Brooksby, Torpegard versus Fasundo Mina. One of those guys are going to be a finalist. And, I mean— It might if, be Mena. Yeah, it, it, it could be Mo too. Like, it's it could yeah. be any of them. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, that. Yeah, they're both—those are two very even matches. Um, mm-hmm. Mena hasn't, you know, been great recently, but he, he has a clay core game that when it's on— I mean, he had, well, when I say he hasn't been great, I mean, he's lost eight matches in a row at the, at the, um, he's lost eight matches in a row, but before this week, but, uh, he actually in the past has played some good clay court tennis. Um, yeah, those four, you know, who knows? Um, and then the bottom half, yes, I expect for Tangelo to beat Watanuki. I, Kwiatkowski Young, I don't really know. Um, maybe for rooting interest, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll choose Young because he went to Michigan. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Giannu, uh, Menezes, that should be a good physical match. I like Menezes. And then Kudla, Richard. I, Kudla, I'm not convinced. I'm, even though Richard, I think, had an upset win over Olivo. I'm oh, did you see that cracked racket? It was delightful. Yes, I did. <laughs> that was a cracked racket. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no pun intended. Or, like, <laughs> yeah, but Kudla should be too good for him. Yeah. No, I mean, look, it's been a great week for the Virginia Cavaliers, clearly. Number one seed in the ACC men's tournament. Uh, you saw Kwiatkowski, Richard both get much-needed wins. Um, but no, I, again, I think all of those things are fair. And again, it should be a fun home stretch here in Tallahassee. To round things out on today's podcast, because of course we've talked about two challengers now pretty much for an hour. That's why we wanted to focus on just the Americans. Had a lot of things to say uh, about these two events, but two other observations from the other events I wanted to share from you for uh, with you, David, from this week. Okay. Number one, Nicolas Jerry in Ecuador. Like I know, mm-hmm. performance enhancing drugs, yada yada yada. 
whatever. It is what it is. But I'm not saying I'm not approving of it. I'm just saying we can't oh, go yeah, back yeah, in the past yeah. and make his play. But Nicolas Sieri in Ecuador, I watched his match against Nicolas Alvarez. I watched his match against Sakaguchi today. He he belong like that serve that forehand. I was yeah. like, holy crap, is he hitting the ball big? Yeah, I mean he he's I think he's going to be too good for the challenger level very soon. I think hard. I you know he he play he likes the clay a lot. I think his game is really good on hard courts too and the field in uh Salinas no offense is not that great and I think mm-hmm. I think Yari Yari or Van Rietoven are probably the two favorites in my eyes mm-hmm. no I mean yeah I, I I said before the tournament began I thought Van Rietoven was going to win that first match against Uchiyama I, I mean Chelik Bellic He's played well of late, and these courts yeah. are playing fast, oh, he, right? Yeah, he can win it too. Yeah, so I like that, him, but I I think it's got to be Nicolas Yari. I mean, he yeah. is just hitting the ball. I, his first through two matches, he's lost five games, David. Like, yeah. At hey, a certain, what do we do? Tiago Torrente could, uh, you know, he had a nice win over Kevin King today. I feel like he's getting better on clay, but he's a young name to watch. I think mm-hmm. in the no. future. Absolutely, and then my other thought I wanted to run by you, A, I thought Juan Pablo Varias looked excellent today against Marcora in Italy, but just, you kind of look at that draw, top half quarterfinalists, Emer versus Pablo Varias, uh, Lamassine versus Gaston, you've also got Pellegrino, Caballi, Ofner, Zepieri, Giustino, Stakowski, and Tomic Capriva. I am super excited for Tomic Capriva tomorrow, but just, again, to wrap things out, any final things you'll be watching for this week on the Challenger Tour? Yeah, so in Rome, I've been locked in on Paolo Lorenzi. He lost, he lost, <laughs> he lost today, but it's so fun in watching him compete. You know, he's the ultimate competitor. Uh, today, he's been using what he used pretty well the past two matches. Uh, well, in the first and second round, uh, was that was not a moon ball, but a higher ball that reset the points really well. Um, he doesn't have the power that he used to have. Um, but he can still rip the forehand pretty well. Um, yeah, the field here is great. Capriva, I think Capriva is underrated. Uh, I think he, I think he beats Tomic tomorrow. Um, Giustino is a good clay quarter that kind of flies under the radar. He beat Horansky in the first round. He's in the, he's a seven seed. He's in the, that Tomic Capriva little section. Um, Zepieri, uh, opener is like a young, younger gun. Uh, good battle should happen there. Um, in the second round. I believe that's tomorrow or today when it's released. Um, yeah, Ymir versus Varias. That's going to be a great match. Uh, how do you see that one playing in? <sighs> yeah, I'm... I mean, the Immer brothers are part of the OG Next Gen crew that like I grew up following at the junior level, so I always have a special tie to them. Um, but, I mean... I think Varias has looked really good here to start the season, David. Like, I think yeah. he I, he's my favorite to win in Rome. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I kind of agree with that. I kind of think Giustino might be able to uh, pull it off. Uh, we'll see. I, I think it might be a Varias-Giustino final. Although, Yamur, I don't want to discount him in that match against uh, Varias. Uh, 
if he can get enough balls to the various backhand, you know, he's going to have a shot in that one. Mm-hmm. No, I 100% agree. And again, overall, it should be a very fun week of Challenger Tennis. But with that in mind, David, uh, obviously, I appreciate you, as always, taking the time to chat with us. I want to let you uh, have a chance to tell our listeners any articles you have in the queue that we can get excited about. If not, I've definitely got some ideas for you. Uh, well, none, but I know we're going to do a Challenger All-Stars in about a week and a half. Um, and we can do something on Brooksby or Alcaraz. That's what I was going to say. I think I need the Brooksby piece. That's I haven't okay. read the good Brooksby piece yet. What does he do well? What does he not? What does he need to work on? Is that fair? I feel like after this podcast, this might have been just if you go back and take the transcript from the first 20 minutes, you might be able to find some stuff. Yeah, we can do like uh, we can do a next gen on or I, I can do an article in Brooksby. That might um, have to be it. Yes. And then before. Yeah. So, yeah. So you can find me at tennis blogger one uh, on Twitter. Um, I'm not going to give out my Reddit name uh, <laughs> but, uh, on Reddit. Uh, not, 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 not so much recently. Um, not really recently, but I just thought I'd, I in the past I've been on there. So you can maybe try to find me there. No, maybe. Totally. I, I gave my gave my Reddit name to my friends and then they didn't to some of my friends and then they didn't give their name back to me. So I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. anyways, I want to also just say can for a quick second um congrats to Astra Sharma. She actually went she won um Charleston 2. She went to Vanderbilt, which is where I am in professional school now. Mm-hmm. Um so good for her. Uh Really had, was in, on the ropes against Madison Brangle, um, mm-hmm. and she came through that, and she, then she won the title. Um, so good for her. Yeah, you know what they say, never doubt a Commodore. Uh, that's always been the rule, but uh, no, 100%, uh, and as I, I appreciate that shout-out as well. Uh, Well-deserved for Astra Sharma, and again, a shout-out to you, David, for taking the time to join us. Thank you, as always. Hope you are staying yeah. safe, staying healthy. Well, I, I imagine, you know, expect that text Monday next week. <laughs> well, it, I'm I'm happy that I'm happy to do it uh, while I can. Yeah, of course. We'll take care as always. Thanks. Bye. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with David. A huge thank you to him, as always, for taking the time to come on the show. Again, be on the lookout for that Next Gen 2.0 article on Jensen Brooksby and all of his work on our website, CrackRackets.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at TennisBlogger1, and we hope to continue to have David on the show moving forward, so don't think this is the last you are going to hear from him. Of course, if you are caught up on the challenger action, but maybe a bit behind on what's happening at the tour level, Rest assured, we've got you covered here at Cracked Rackets. Go check out our mini break podcast feed where we are recapping all of the action day in, day out. If you want to hear from some of the players competing on the WTA Tour this week in Stuttgart, in Istanbul, I had the chance to ask a few questions of Ashley Barty, Petra Kvitova, Annette Conteve following their wins on Wednesday in Stuttgart. You can find my questions, their answers, on our Cracked Interviews podcast. And of course, as always, I am asking not only for us here at Cracked Rackets, but from the computers, please like, rate, subscribe, review this show, that show, uh, Cracked Interviews, Great Shot Podcast, and the mini break, please Share them with your friends. If you have any thoughts, comments on what we're talking about, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets. You want a message or tweet at me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Liger and Daniel Westoff, for the 
of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Turn of Tennis. Remember, email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707 to join the Turna Tennis team. As always, if you have missed out on anything, remember, you can catch up on all of our content by going to our website, crackrackets.com. But with that in mind, for my wonderful guests, David Gertler, our super producers, Flinger and Westoff, our friends at Turna Tennis, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great job. See you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.